This is Dr. Doctor, the radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern, today with a special Finding the Halo episode dealing with coronavirus. After all, corona does mean halo, so let's find the silver lining in this outbreak. On Dr. Doctor, we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. We're normally heard on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. This episode will be podcast only on various websites. Today's guests are four medical students from around the country whose training has been affected by the COVID pandemic. And we have from first through fourth year, Abigail Zickman, a first year student at the Kirksview College of Osteopathic Medicine in Kirksville, Missouri. We have Charlo Bayless, a second year student at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. Joseph Fuchs, a third-year student at University of Colorado Medical School in Denver, Colorado. And finally, Francesca Ursua, a fourth-year student at the Uniformed Services School of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. Welcome to Dr. Doctor. Abigail, you're the first year. You get to go first. At what point did you realize that COVID-19 was a big deal that was going to affect your training? Well, so I realized um, about 10 days ago, um, we just had spring break this last week, but a decision was made um, by my university on the Thursday, so um, March 12th, to suspend instruct- or in-class instruction until April 24th. Um, so we had kind of very last-minute meeting with our dean, and the decision, they said, was going to be reevaluated as needed. Um, but they also kind of encouraged students who were traveling for spring break um, to stay home if they could and kind of just stay put for the time being. So until April 24th, you don't even have online classes. So we do. Um, that was They kind of suspended the in-class, and they transitioned everything over to online instruction. And over the last week, we've been getting lots of different emails from all of our departments on what that's going to look like for the different classes. Charlo, your second-year student, yes. what have you? what's new for you? So I just took step one in early March and um, had a couple weeks of break and was actually supposed to start again tomorrow with um, a clinical skills boot camp, which is basically two weeks of clinical skills um, before we started rotations. So learning how to do history and physical. Exactly, exactly. So when the news of COVID um, kind of increasing severity came out, originally they said they were going to try to make as much of that online as they could. And we were kind of questioning how they would make that happen. (laughs) Um, But yeah, then when things escalated, now they push back everything until May. So I I don't really have any responsibilities or really anything I can work on until I think May 4th is the tentative start date. May 4th. Joseph, third year, you've you've been in the midst of uh, clinical rotations. What's going on for you? Yeah, exactly. So... We received an email last Saturday, so I believe that was the 14th, um, that our school was suspending rotations. It was really a natural break point where a lot of students were going to begin a clerkship on the 16th. Um, And so we were told that we're going to take a coronavirus, a COVID-19 elective. Yeah, Uh, you're the only one I've heard that from. Tell us about this. Yeah, so... um, Yeah, I'm really impressed with the leadership of my school and really um, thankful for them. So they put together a course where we're going to do a lot of like disaster preparedness, pandemic training. There's a FEMA training that's um, put on about pandemics that they want us to do uh, a few other things from some professional societies. And then the pretty interesting part about the course that I really appreciate is they're tying it into research, education, 
service and reflection. So we have options. Wow. Yeah, so we have options to choose whether we want to work on kind of more like narrative medicine, um, reflecting on everything that's going on, help with education as far as planning clerkships for the incoming third years, if that is to happen, or at least like work on some online modules um, that'll be supplementary for them. Uh, we also have really had a great group putting together service opportunities, not necessarily in clinic, but really like reaching out to nursing homes um, and trying to reduce social, social isolation. Uh, and then we also are helping with research, just whatever coronavirus type research comes up or just helping people get papers out, um, be a hand, a virtual hand in the lab. Wow, that's impressive. I like that. And then, Francesca, what's going on at your school? How's your rotations changed? Yes, sir. So, um, as with like the national mandate to suspend clinical rotations, my school also followed that. Um, it's been a little interesting for our fourth years, who some of us still had required rota rotations for graduation in our 12th round. Um, so, there's been um, hesitancies about that and concerns about whether or not any of us would, or like the ones who did have required rotations would graduate or not. Our school has been very responsive um, in accommodating and figuring out how to transition to online modules for such rotations um, and like scrubbing through our different graduation requirements to see where we stand. Um, I think I first realized that this was going to hit us specifically as uniform services when um, I heard that other countries were starting to shut down because I had ah. classmates in the other countries oh. who had to be mandated to come back, um, which I'm glad that they're safe and that they're back, um, but it definitely gave a different perspective for us knowing that our school and just the uniform services in general, we respond to international um situations such as these and then we're in kind of that limbo state where we're almost there to where we could help but we're not yes. quite there to where we could be very helpful at all um, oh, frustrating so we're um but we're just about a month away from being able to actually help <laughs> so the the mandate you're referring to is this what the uh, association of american medical colleges called for the two-week or longer suspension they called for on march 17th or is this a different mandate um, so we are in a unique position of where we fall under a couple of different mandates. The AMA definitely is one of the ones, um, but also the, the DOD. Um, and so we... Department of Defense for listeners. Yes, yes. So um, we follow any instruction that any of the general military population would fall under. Um, also, I didn't say before, but any of the things that I say or the comments that I make are reflections of my own um, opinion and not the opinions or the standing of the Department of Defense or the School of Medicine. Um, I'd have to put that out there. Yep. Yes, as a former military doctor myself, I understand the verbiage and mm -hmm. that you have to say it. I so it, it sounds like from reading that um, trainees are in some places are being just sent home. I heard in Gainesville they closed the medical school. I don't know if that's true. That was secondhand. But what message do you think it sends to people if trainees like yourselves are sent home from patients in the same way that some doctors and, and students were afraid to treat the early HIV patients in the 1980s? Abigail? 
Well, kind of for me as a first year medical student, um, we are only in the classroom and we're not assisting patients at this time. So we're not really affected um, by that nearly as much because where I'm at currently in my medical training is just to gather as much information as I possibly can and to learn as much as I can so that when I do um, treat patients in the future, I am competent and able to do that. Um, so for me, my life kind of hasn't really been upended in that way. That's a good point. Charlo, you're at the end of those two years of preclinical work. Has has what do you think about you know that statement about you know being sent away from patients who might need you? Right. Um, so I feel like for me, I like also don't really have the clinical experience yet to really be of a lot of help. But this is like medicine and helping out at a time like this is kind of why I went into medicine. You know, like to be able to help during crises like this. So it is like really frustrating to have to be at home, not doing anything. And like, I don't know if there were some way I could help. I really, really wish I could, um, like even with my limited knowledge and expertise. But yeah, it is kind of tough just not really playing any part in the in providing healthcare right now. So Joe, you, you mentioned that you've got a COVID-19 elective. Are any of the students interacting with patients at this point? Currently, they are not. We are following the guidelines to have the pause that the AMC called for to have no medical students in, in clinical practice at this time. Um, and that's set to go through, I think, the 30th. Uh, we'll see what they say about extending that. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been pretty difficult on us as third years. Uh, we really enjoy being in clinic. We really feel like we're finally getting to the point. Yes. Um, where we're, you know, little baby physicians. Uh, <laughs> so, and as far as we're approaching the end of our third year, so we feel a little bit more useful as well. Um, so it's definitely has been difficult. And I think uh, what's been hard to see too, just publicly, is you see governors in many states calling for retired physicians to come back to practice. Um, oh. But then you look at the data from Italy and China, and you see that uh, the 20 to 30 general age group is, is the lowest risk for pretty severe right. um, uh, mortality rates. So uh, it's pretty hard to hear us or sit and see governors call on retired physicians to come back who are at all greater risk. And then we're just hanging out at home. Uh, that's a great point. And to read what the Association of American Medical Colleges said, they said there were two reasons they wanted you guys to take a pause. Uh, the first reason was so that you could be fully educated um, before you return to clinical rotation with up-to-date information on COVID-19 and uh, appropriate steps so that you, your own safety um, is ensured. And, and secondly, they say to try to conserve personal protective equipment across institutions. Uh, and finally, Francesca, what do you think about, you know, you, you young, nearly physicians uh, being excluded from care at this point? Absolutely. I think that this is a time, especially during, I feel appropriately time to be during the season of Lent to reflect on um, humility um, and surrender, because mm. as much as we as a class of fourth years is excited to be out there and helping and doing something the way that Italy has basically promoted all of their medical students to help with the crisis. Um, 
I think it's understanding that, yes, we are still trainees and we do have to defer to those senior of us. But that doesn't mean that we have to be paralyzed in fear, because I don't think that we've been mandated to stay within the hospitals out of fear. I think it's more so to to best protect everyone involved um, and that what we can do from where we are is, although we are in quarantine and although we are socially distancing, um, we can support those who are on the front lines of patient care. Um, so I'm very proud of like our student body who, have, and I think a lot of student bodies around the nation have been putting together lists of volunteer opportunities to help with childcare for the physicians who have to stay in the hospital longer um, and things like that. And really just, I, I feel as though this is coming to a point of everyone is doing their best to come together and support in whatever way they can. And for us as medical students right now, it may not be in actual patient care that we're training for, but to care for those who are caring for others. That is an awesome point because there's so much need out there. I mean, just in my own practice, I'm continuing to operate on cancer patients. Um, but in our, even our staff, there's a lot of fear of what might happen to them and how we have to clamp down at the doors and limit people in and just bring them directly into a room, directly out. People are feeling isolated, and that really uh, takes its toll. So if you can help that, you will all become better physicians. Do you have a feel for the status of testing availability for coronavirus and for personal protective equipment at your institutions, Abigail? Um, so as of right now, Kirksville is a smaller town, I guess you could say. Um, and I think that's one of the main reasons they encourage all of us students to stay home, um, either from going on spring break or following spring break, just because I don't know of the exact numbers of tests that are in the county. Um, but prior to spring break, there wasn't many available. Right. Um, and the hospital system is smaller as well, too. And with all of us students kind of leaving initially to go home or to go to different states and coming back, that was the worry that um, the hospital system here in Kirksville wasn't going to be able to handle a sudden increase of cases. Um, so I don't know of the exact numbers of what's available currently um, or the numbers. I haven't really been keeping up on Missouri's stats as of right now. Charlotte, Dayton, Ohio, right state. Right. Uh, similar. I'm not exactly sure on what the numbers are, but I imagine it's similar to Missouri, to Missouri and Ohio, um, where it's limited in the number of equipment. And I know Ohio specifically has been very proactive um, for the number of cases they had, but they were one of the first couple to close down restaurants, bars, schools. Yes. Um, yes, they yeah. were. So I imagine also conserving um, like medical equipment was another priority that they had early on. Joseph, status in Denver, where you have a number of cases. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the state, I know that 4,500 tests have been run as, as the info they put out yesterday. Um, and we had 475 cases reported yesterday. So it's a pretty high positive rate for those getting tested. Um, we were one of the first states to have drive-through testing uh, but I know it's definitely been difficult to uh, get those tests completed. There seems to be, like the governor discussed, there seems to be a bit of a backlog on getting results. Um, so I'm, I've heard that they're sending them out to other states for, for completion of the testing. Um, I'm not totally sure exactly what the numbers are and how many they can run a day or what our institution looks like. But as far as PPE, that's definitely one of the reasons uh, that we were pulled earlier than the AAMC mandate. Um, 
our deans have been pretty clear with us that uh, conservation of PPE is, is really a high priority for our system um, and just for the safety of all the providers there currently. Um, that was one of the reasons why we were taken out. Um, that makes sense because we want to protect whoever's taking care of patients right now. Definitely. And Francesca, in the D.C. metro area, any feel for how testing capability is or personal protective equipment? I'll be completely honest. I don't entirely know the status of all of our equipment. Um, but in terms of just watching the response of the hospitals um, over the past week slash week and a half, um, I had an interesting perspective of I was actually um, a patient not a COVID patient, but I had preceptal cellul I had preceptal cellulitis, so I was in the emergency department like last week. And throughout the week, when I was having my follow up appointments, I was in the hospital, not in the hospital, but I visited the hospital and had outpatient follow ups four days in a row. And watching the evolution of screening as the days oh. went on was very. Yeah, what did you see? Well, how it did it change? Right. So the first day when I was like just presenting to the emergency department for like weird eye gunk. <laughs> um, it was just like, oh, have you been coughing? Have you been in contact with anyone outside of the United States in the past 21 days or so? Um, and it's just like, no, no. All right, great. Um, go sit over there. And then people in the ADA like, would have masks if they were coughing and such. Um, and then during my outpatient visits, I had like three or four in that week alone, um, back to back um, consecutive days. And early in the week, it was just, you would just walk into the hospital, walk out and just is like as if it was a, just a normal day and then later on in the week i got stopped before i even entered the hospital just by like people who were sitting outside i thought they were just hanging out outside but then they <laughs> got they stood up and they stopped me and they ran questions on me and then after i had completed those questions i tried to keep walking forward and then another person stood in front of me and stopped me and asked me more questions and i was like oh like this is actually a very um I don't know. We're getting very thorough. And then as I kept driving past the hospital in the days to follow after my appointments, I saw tents going up outside for like COVID testing specifically so that before people entered the hospital, um, they would be tested outside. So it was a very quick evolution of security, I would say. Um, How which, rapidly can they turn around the initial test? Do you know? I'm not sure. Do any of you know? Those ones in the tents? Purpose for research for me. Very good. I'm curious, what are the some of the most interesting things you've learned from a medical perspective, kind of being on the inside during this pandemic? Abigail? Um, I think for me, kind of one of the most interesting things is that I was kind of reflecting on what coronavirus is. And I had all my microbiology um, instruction last semester. And I remember coronavirus being a very small portion of one lecture. Um, yes. <laughs> over like it was no big deal. And so when this kind of came to light, um, even just a couple of weeks ago, I think that was the biggest thing that this is more than just one small virus that I'm going to learn about as a medical student, but can have, you know, such gravity on the healthcare system and on just people in general. And so I think that's been kind of the most interesting is kind of diving into what this virus is. Um, and that kind of gives me this um, greater understanding for all of the other things that I learn as well, too. So, Charlo? Yeah, for me, it's been really incredible to see how fast everything has progressed and how the news is changing just day to day. There's 
something new to learn and um, a, like a new situation around the world. Um, so yeah, that was kind of mind blowing to me because I, I remember when I first heard about the coronavirus about, um, I don't know how, a month and a half ago, it seemed like this distant story in the news that my non-medical yes. student um, roommates knew a lot more about than I did. Because <laughs> um, you had to study. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I remember coming home um, in the evening after studying um, really late, and they were talking about the coronavirus and asking me questions, and I said, it's a positive single-stranded RNA virus, <laughs> and that's all I know. That was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, really just seeing the day-to-day -day change in um, the situation has been really interesting to me. What's been interesting for you, Joe? I think it's been really interesting to see all the research that's come out um, and what each like county, city, hospital is able to put out. I think uh, one thing I've been reflecting on a lot is uh, our access to technology, um, social media, for example, like medical Twitter. Um, and then you see a report from France about using hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. And then you see other drugs used in China. And, and it's really, these aren't published studies per se. They're just information distributed um, yes. vastly. Uh, and we don't really have the time at this point to you know do a thorough literature review, determine what has a good level of evidence, and it's all just thrown out together. Um, so I think that's pretty fascinating uh, from my perspective as far as like evidence-based medicine, um, what choices we're making, and then from a public health perspective, how we look at who's impacted by this virus, um, how they're impacted, and then the data that comes out that shows maybe younger people are actually more affected and being hospitalized more frequently. You see that in New York and some of their numbers um, and how that varies versus like co-infection rates um, at in California or in Washington. So I think that's all just very interesting and putting it all together is super difficult, um, but a good, good practice probably uh, in future pandemic planning. So from all those things that you were just quoting, what are some of the most um, fascinating facts that uh, you've come across? Um, I saw a Chinese study that showed that it, it hypothesized that a lot of their spread came from children asymptomatically transferring the virus to older individuals, especially um, a lot of people in China seem to live like more in community with grandparents yes. and parents and children together. Um, I thought that was a pretty fascinating piece, um, but I think it's just definitely hard to evaluate. Um, you get, you know, sample sizes of 30, 40, 100, 200 patients. Um, that's not really the kind of evidence, level of evidence we hope for. But um, I think if we can kind of take those things into account in our approach, maybe we can have better outcomes. And Francesca, what's been uh, fascinating to you medically? Um. You can stop me if at any point this sounds not medical, but I feel like something that I've been reflecting on <laughs> has been the, I didn't mean to make you spit. <laughs> um, I, something that I've been reflecting on is uh, like the hidden curriculum of medicine, like the interpersonal interactions between- The hidden curriculum of medicine. That's a great yeah. phrase. Go on. <laughs> um, the, um, not necessarily the interpersonal reaction between us and patients, but between providers, because- you hear all these classic stereotypes of bickering between the ED and internal medicine or internal medicine and surgery. Um, I think of it in an analogy of 
for example, in the Department of Defense, when we're here and we're stateside, um, Air Force and Navy and Army, we're always bickering, especially with like mm-hmm. football and things like that. And then when we go abroad and we're deployed, like nobody picks on you because we're, we're brothers. And so we can only make fun of each other, but no one else can mess with us. And I feel like in this situation, the bickering and the stereotypes have more or less been set aside because everyone is just trying to fight this invisible enemy of COVID. And it doesn't matter if you're a surgeon. It doesn't matter if you're internal med. It doesn't matter if you're ED. Like right now, everyone is doing their best to come together and minimize risk and optimize outcomes. Um, So I think for me, that's something that I've been reflecting on. That's beautiful. And that is something that happens inside. It's good to see. I'm in a private practice clinic, uh, but I do know that uh, even we are working more intensely together. So, So bravo to you and your institution. Now, besides learning things medically that are fascinating, so far, what have you learned that's interesting about yourself in this pandemic? Abigail? I think it just kind of goes back to um, being a student, but wishing that I was, you know, able to do so much more. Um, But kind of having that excitement that that is to come in the future and being able to serve in the future. Um, So for me, just kind of about myself is that as of right now, I'm on the right path of what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just kind of called to be where I'm at um, and really kind of taking as much as I can because my time to serve patients in the future will come shortly enough, so. That's beautiful. Charlo, how's uh, this help you reflect on yourself? Yeah, um, so like I said, everything um, kind of became chaotic right after I finished my exam. And during the dedicated study period, I was very isolated, um, really seeing only kind of the same people at the same time in the same study room every day. Um, And it was interesting because afterwards I kind of expected then I, I'm, I'm going to do all the fun things. I'm going to see people again, um, <laughs> just celebrate. And then that's when everything started closing. Then we were supposed to isolate ourselves again. So I was back to really just like seeing my roommate and maybe one or two friends in like a, a one-on-one meeting. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's made me realize though that I can still have a community um, and have that social support, even if I am in physical isolation. Um, and so phone calls have definitely helped really just like um, uh, intentional one-on-one meetings with people have been really nice. Um, and so so I do still feel like I have that social support that I need, even though I have to be alone a lot of the time. It sounds like uh, you can identify with that meme that I've seen going around that says, I didn't plan on giving up this much for Lent. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's pretty accurate. <laughs> it sounds like the whole world has been plunged into Lent, whether they're Catholic, Christian, or not. Mm-hmm. Joe, what have you learned about yourself so far? I think uh, it's provided pretty good time to reflect on really like what we take for granted. Uh, for example, like Saturday, you want to go... Maybe grab a beer with a friend or go out for coffee on a Sunday morning before mass or, before mass or grab brunch. Um, and just how normal that seems and 
and uh, how grateful we can be now uh, after this all ends uh, with just seemingly normal interactions, um, how impactful they are, how much we value those experiences and those relationships. And then I think that definitely extends to um, the ability to go to mass uh, and watching mass is definitely not the same as, as being able to go to mass. And then just reflecting on how there are people all over the world who don't have the opportunity to go to mass, how blessed we are to have. I mean, you can go online and probably find a hundred masses on a Sunday in your, in your city, uh, and all sorts of different languages, um, or like cultural applications of mass. Uh, and then how there are places in the world where either due to politics um, or just availability that that's lacking. So really like pray in solidarity for those people who experience that hardship throughout their lives. And Francesca, what have you been learning about yourself? You're an introspective young woman. <laughs> Indeed, sir. <laughs> um, I, it's funny actually, because I'm in a elective right now with my school called metacognition which is thinking about thinking and i signed up because i was like oh i do that at a baseline <laughs> <laughs> you can't help <laughs> i can't um so definitely something that i've been thinking about thinking about is uh. um the fact that <laughs> something before all of the covid um 19 things hit is that i was already starting to feel a lot of the bittersweetness of moving on to residency um, and I could feel the pangs of excitement um, to finally be in the patient care but also the pangs of fear of we've already been a very dispersed class because we go everywhere for our rotations um, and like having like this community that we've built not only like here at my school but also um, like in the local area um, and through CMA and I could feel the pangs of fear of going into intern year um, and not having time to give to people that I would like to. Because for me, physical touch and time are my love languages. If people are familiar with the love languages test, oh, yes. I know that Dr. McGovern loves personality tests. Um, but so those are the two things that I was fearing the most going into intern year. And I think that's something that has been even for lack of better terms been exacerbated by the current epidemic or the pandemic rally um, of if I don't if I'm not intentional about that time and that space with people now then I won't be able to when time and space get even more limited in the future and the Lord has been so gracious as to give me nothing but time and space right now <laughs> don't we all I know exactly, and it's it's interesting because I've never seen. I, I love playing outside, and I love going on hikes and just going on trails and walks and everything. And I've never seen so many people outside as I have now when they don't have any other option to be, um, because oh, you know we we are always we're always in a rush. We're always trying to think of the next thing that we have to do. But right now, you know, we're you're, we're human beings, not human doings. And I feel like a lot of people are learning how to be right now. <laughs> I think you have each mentioned in some way what I want to ask in the next question, but if you have something to add, please do. And seeing what's going on uh, probably has affected in some way your own resolve in being a physician. How has it respected or affected your resolve, Abigail? Um, one thing that I was just kind of reflecting on is 
the physicians who are um, stretched very thin right now in kind of those areas where it has hit the hardest. Um, but that the Hippocratic Oath that physicians take, you know, once they graduate and they move on into their training has a much deeper meaning um, and something for me to think about throughout my training and when I get to that point of actually working with patients is that it's no longer words on a page, but this has um, such deeper meaning and in the daily actions and how you serve your patients, how you serve your community, um, self-service. You know, I can imagine a lot of those physicians who are stretched so thin would rather be doing something else, would rather be at home with their families. Um, but they took this call and this call to service and it just gives me so much hope and so much excitement um, for me to take that call in the future as well. Charlo. Mm -hmm. I was going to say something very similar. Um, so I heard a podcast this morning about um, a physician who is actually right now just living out of his garage because um, his wife just gave birth to a newborn and doesn't want to expose um, the newborn and the rest of the family. And yeah, the, the fact that some physicians are really taking this on as a calling and a vocation is really inspiring and hope that I can do the same. Yeah, one thing we've talked about a little bit with um, our infectious disease public health specialist, Paul Carson, is uh, he brought forward this uh, editorial that was in the New York Times uh, a week and a half ago about how pandemics tend to bring out the worst in people except for medical workers because it's almost what we were built for, what we were made for. And it's, uh, I think it's a real blessing that we have meaningful work to do um, during this kind of time. Joe, uh, how has it affected your resolve? Yeah, so earlier I mentioned how there's this call for older physicians to come and retired yes. physicians to come in, um, and how that's really frustrating for especially uh, the clinical year medical students. Uh, so I think generally one thing I've really noticed with uh, my friends and just kind of discussing this idea is is how much we all really appreciate being in clinic, um, how impactful that is for us on a day-to-day, -day, even when you have a rotation that's maybe not your favorite. Uh, and sometimes it can be hard to wake up really early to pre-round, um, but really just notice like how much we all miss it. Uh, and that really makes us feel good about, though we can't, we're kind of in this place where we're having a hard time helping right now, uh, that we know generally we're in the right place. And Francesca. I think sure I'm just itching to go. I'm just ready to, <laughs> re ready to be helping, taking care. Because You we're know you're in the right, right place. <laughs> so, you know, as we start to wind this up, what do you think it's most important for our listeners to know about COVID-19? Abigail? I think the biggest thing is We've all seen it on social media, just all of the information about social distancing and staying at home. And I think that we all have a unique ability to play a part in this, whether we're in the medical field or not. And that is by staying at home, you know, staying away from um, the elderly population just because they're more at risk. But then also taking the time to really reach out to them virtually. Um, the good thing is that we are all very connected and we all have that ability. And like someone mentioned before, we have lots of time now. Um, <laughs> so we're able to take the time while we're at home, um, trying to keep ourselves healthy, healthy and our friends and family healthy as well. Charlotte, what do you want listeners to know? Mm 
Um, well, I think something COVID has taught me is uh, how fortunate I am. And I know, I know we all have so many struggles and um, how life has completely changed in the past couple weeks because of COVID. But um, yeah, something I, I would want listeners to reflect on is um, the fact that um, a lot of us, a, a lot of people are probably worse off than we are. Um, like, for example, when things were on the rise, I had the ability to have 30 days worth of supplies and food. And I am sure some people wouldn't have like are living paycheck to paycheck and wouldn't have been able to do that. Um, lots of people have lost their jobs as a result of this and and things might not change when for them when COVID dies down. So, yeah, just recognizing that um, despite all of our struggles, um, like there is still a lot to be grateful for. Yes, that's what they've shown in stressful times. One of the best things you can do is give thanks for three things each day, no matter how small they are. It really affects how people handle their their stress. Joe, what do you want listeners to know? So a friend and I were talking yesterday and she had some really great advice that was write down what happens every day during this time. Um, like physically write it down so that you have a historical record. Uh, I thought that was really great because looking back, even last week was completely different than this week. I mean, I went to Costco last Saturday and it was pretty normal except for the lack of toilet paper. Um, <laughs> what is with that, by the way? It's not a diarrhea epidemic. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Um, but as far as, and then I went a couple days ago to pick up a couple things and it was totally different. No, no seating for food. Everyone spaced out six feet apart. People wearing, I mean, even seeing people wear masks out in public is just so abnormal uh, a week ago. And now is, is kind of, is pretty accepted. So I think, uh, tracking what happens these next few months uh because some things probably won't go back to the way they were and then we can we can notice that and see what we've changed what we like about that and what we don't that's that's a great insight and then francesca what do you want listeners to know um i think that especially now with all the social distancing and not being able to be around anyone um, and as we mentioned earlier, not being able to attend mass and receive the physical presence. Um, I think coming together um, in prayer as much as we can is very important. Um, and as often as we can, making the act of spiritual communion, um, which if anyone looks it up, you can just Google it. Um, but not being able to be physically present with the Lord, um, who is the healer of all, Um at least coming together in spiritual communion with him and praying for healing of the world, not only from the physical COVID illness, but in the toll that it's taking on the medical personnel and their families. Um, and just the, the, the way that society is responding. Um, I would like to read to you a text that I received from someone I know taking care of COVID patients. And I'm curious, you know, as a last question, what your response is to this and if you have anything else you'd like to share. He's a pulmonologist, intensive care unit doctor, and he says, there are many patients dying in the hospital today. They are dying of stroke, heart attack, cancer, etc. There are no visitors allowed. 
Limited visitation is allowed when death is imminent. I spoke with a son who will not be with his mom as she dies because he has a lung condition. It is a brutal human tragedy. When we get through with this, I am haunted with the fear that we may be less human rather than more human. Pray for his mercy and consolation. How, how does that affect you, Abigail, hearing that? Um, the first thing that really, it, first of all, it makes me sad. Um, you know, uh, we don't necessarily think about our death all the time, although I do think we should, um, you know, pray about our death and what that's going to be like someday. But as even as family members, how sad to not be able to be surrounded by the ones that you love um, or the one that you loves while, it's, while he or she is dying. Um, but I think just really calling on St. Joseph um, during <laughs> I think is he's just kind of a great intercessor. For Patron of a happy death, right? Yes, correct. Charlo, what do you think about what my friend said? Yeah, what stood up stood out to me was when um, they said we don't know if this will make us more human or less human following this experience, um, and yeah, just made just made me think about how so much of what follows. Um, this pandemic is unknown. Like we don't know when things will reopen or when we'll return back to normalcy. Um, and yeah, or, or the timeline or really anything about this. So um, yeah, it, it, it just made me think that uh, we'll, we'll kind of just have to see how things will turn out the next couple months or years. Joseph. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Charlo, about uh, whether this will make us more or less human. Um, I think we do have a really great opportunity to uh, pray for those who are dying, and especially dying alone. Um, I think that can really, like prayerfulness in this time, can really help maintain our humanity. Uh, and then additionally, I think um, going along with policies like that, we have a really, uh, this is really a time for strong bioethics. Um, and I would just, you know, say for the medical students listening, like get involved in bioethics. We have great bioethically oriented CMA members, um, because really, uh, we need our voice in these times to, um, ensure that people are being treated with dignity and respect. Um, and a lot of, a lot of tough decisions will be made in the next few months. And for the final word, Francesca. It feels like a lot of responsibility. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> um, I think yes, it's pressure. <laughs> I think something curious about these statements is, um, well, I mean, first off, there's a very heartbreaking sentiment. Um, the thought that people aren't being together in those last moments. Um, and then the thought of, is this going to make us more or less human? And I think something that struck me is that what makes us human is that we are broken and that we do suffer and that the, the call of humanity as the body of Christ is compassion, is to suffer together. Um, and uh, something that my brother has been reflecting on a lot in the past month and has been the phrase memento mori remember your death and that as you were saying Abigail I feel like a lot of people do shy away from that um, though I, 
I definitely don't think that we should. And if anything, the moment of death is something that we should come into together with. I feel like excitement is maybe not the best word, but the only word that I can think of at the moment. Because if we're living in spiritual communion with God and with each other, then the moment of death is the moment of meeting the one that loves us greater than anyone who loves us here. And it's a scary thing because we love each other in a very physical, tangible way, and we don't know what comes next, but I feel as though, especially in this time, no one knows what's coming next. No one knows what Costco's going to be like next week. <laughs> um, yeah. The future of medicine is clearly great because we have future physicians here, Abigail, Charlotte, Joe, and Francesca. I think any of us would be happy to have as our own physician. Thank you for being with us on this special episode of Dr. Doctor. Thank you for listeners being with us on the official podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please hit that share button and share this uh, podcast uh, with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. Be sure to rate and review us so people find us. And this is Dr. Tom McGovern signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word doctor to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit redeemerradio.com slash doctor.